What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Short-Term High Volatility Investments with Jeff Sheesby, the old man who bets, and myself, Anthony Latino, the odds fellow. In this quick hitter, we will be addressing the NBA trade deadline, letting you know what's happening in the league. We touch briefly on uh, UFC and a couple fun matches coming Saturday, and then we dive all in to the uh, NCAA basketball tournaments, men's and women's brackets with a couple picks for Saturday and Sunday. Enjoy the show. This is 1.37 p.m. Stories of hustle and grind from the intersection of culture, style, music, and sports. Great day for a great day. We are back. This is short-term high volatility investments. Your main man, she's AKA the old man who bets is here alongside Aunt Latino, AKA the odds fellow. We are back in action talking about the sweet 16 of March madness coming off of a pretty hot round one and round two, where we saw upsets galore. It was madder than ever is kind of what I thought. And how are we doing? I mean, I enjoyed it. Enjoyed the tourney. Didn't love the uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday format. I would prefer my weekend back a little bit with the madness but hey uh to have a tournament a year after everything that happened i'm, I'm still all for it yeah grateful for the tournament to be happening but it doesn't mean we can't be critics right yeah, you know that's how we get be, off right? on the twitter anyway uh and i completely agree Hot with takes. you man usually Cold i take beers. off that thursday friday we usually play that basketball tournament beforehand right. 6 a.m every i guess every thursday yeah and then go right to the bar rinse and repeat uh and i think at the end of the day you know this new format i don't one really understand it but just kind of it minimizes our our drinking and betting opportunities sometimes good for profits but certainly not good for entertainment and you know i love that four-day bender as much as uh monday games while i'm sitting here banging out emails is is, is not that cool yeah, you got a little bit more background noise, I guess, is one way to look at it. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, middle of a call, I can't be screaming at the TV, right, uh, unfortunately. Right, right. So Thank I God am for officially... The, for the mute button. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Wandering eyes, you know, what's up with the Zoom? Oh, I'm just looking yeah. at my other monitor here. No, I've got the Maryland women covering easily, minus 15 and a half. But uh, anyway, man, you know, I think wild week in sports. Of course, we are, we are focused on college basketball because it is March Madness. But NBA trade deadline... We've got some crazy UFC fights on Saturday where it is supposed to be 60 degrees and sunny here in New York City. What else we've got? We've got the Women's March Madness. We've got the UFC. We've got MLB around the corner. You know, I am just percolating, salivating at the mouth, uh, and I hope my bookie's ready because we're coming at him. Yeah, next week we're probably going to have to do a little deep dive on the uh, on the MLB, right? Get some previews, maybe do some futures. So we'll we'll dive into that when the time is right, but that's right around the corner. Yeah, and it snuck up on me a little bit, yeah. honestly. I mean, this nice weather, you know, again, I hit my tanning threshold of 58 degrees a couple of weeks ago. First time putting on the SPF 50. Uh, anybody who's watching the video clip can tell that it, I haven't gotten much color. That UV index of four isn't going to do it. But you got to start somewhere, just like Takes betting time. bet by Takes bet. Time. I'm saying tan by tan, you know, every day that I can pop top, grease up, throw myself in the pool like the watermelon of the neighborhood, which gets all the kids running. I'm going to try to do it. So we like to say in build month, the bronze. You build yeah. the bronze. <laughs> <laughs> so just two pale white guys coming at you live. And what are we talking about first here? NBA let's trade start, deadline. Let's start it's the NBA trade insane. deadline. Yeah, it's happening. I think it 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 might be wrapping up soon here if it's three o'clock Eastern or somewhere in that time frame. So we, you know, we're recording this on Tuesday. Uh, or rather on Thursday. Um, and this is going down. There's been a flurry of movement this morning. I actually didn't expect. This much did expect some sellers in the market. Toronto was one you heard a lot about. Um, but the one that creeped up over the last few days and has picked up steam and has gone full force is the Orlando Magic are in full-on tank mode. 
Yeah, tank, 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 man. I mean, don't have too much to add there, yeah. other than the fact that I think their tank has really benefited the Chicago yeah. Bulls, right? I mean, yeah. talk about going from already kind of a contender, you know, maybe six to eight seed. I'm not exactly sure where they are right now, but, um, you know, our good friend Polanco Picks points out that the starting lineup for the Bulls is younger than the starting lineup for the Wisconsin Badgers. That's a crazy thing to think about. And, you know, I think the trades bringing in Vucevic, you know, a little senior leadership and a baller, you know, I, yeah. I don't see anything that's really uh, a negative on this trade, having gone yeah. deep on the contracts or anything along those lines, but a lot of people thought it was a kind of opening up a spot, maybe to get Lori marketing out of there, who they've also talked about potentially moving on from uh, just mm-hmm. the way some of those lineups would work. And, you know, those two not really complimenting each other or taking up minutes from each other. So you might see that before the deadline closes. The other big move the Magic made was dumping uh, Aaron Gordon. And he goes over to the Denver Nuggets. They don't really give up much in return. They still keep, you know, their studs in Michael Porter Jr., uh, obviously um, uh, Jamal and uh, the Joker himself. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. they stay intact and probably get a little bit bigger and a little bit better to maybe compete in the Western Conference. And the other one I wanted to point out and get your quick rapid fire thoughts on was the uh the raptors one of two guys that they likely will probably going to see kyle lowry get moved which is going to be interesting but they did move on from norman powell who's a 27 year old stud who's ha- probably having his best year in the nba he goes over to portland and i know you my friend have a little portland blazers uh playoff future that is sitting pretty right i think they're in the sixth spot now close to the fifth spot um, they get better, right? They ship out Gary Trent Jr. and Rodney Hood in exchange for uh, Norman Powell, who's looked nice. Yeah, it feels good to me. And uh, the, you know, the, the Trailblazers, that's one bet that's kind of trending right along where it was when I bet it. Some of them have been better and worse. That one's kind of flatlined in terms of projected odds from 538 compared to my Vegas line that I locked in. You know, I bet it at a uh, 74% chance. The Vegas implied odds was 71. It's right around 71 as of, I think, two or three days ago. So I'm pumped about Powell coming in. Yeah. Another guy that can shoot the three. I think he works in really nicely with this offense. You know, continues to be high octane. I think yeah, probably an upgrade defense. Defensively, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I don't know. You know, I took that one at what minus 245. So, if that one doesn't hit, I'm not going to be the happiest of yeah. campers. That was one of the ones that I had deemed a lock, but still at 70 plus percent. Uh, even if the implied Vegas, you know, Delta isn't as good as it was, I'm still feeling good about them sneaking in. No, I've been sneaking yeah. in, walking right through the front door. And one other future point to think about with the NBA trade deadline obviously, you still may see a flurry, you still may see the buyout market. There's a lot of season left here, but can't you know, pass by the opportunity to point out that the Oklahoma City Thunder did make another trade. They did receive, I believe it was two second round picks in this one, now bringing their draft haul over the next seven seasons, the next seven drafts, to 34 picks. That is, that's a lot of picks. You have any idea historically of how that like ranks up in terms of like a seven year window of the most ever? Over? Yeah. Over. <laughs> I mean, I wish I took like the, the over 15 and a half, right. you know, plus 400 prop. Yeah. I mean, ago, standard, ago, I right? standard over a seven year period is two, two rounds two you know, a pick per round. You're talking 14 to 34, you know, big old Delta in there. So it, it's interesting. It's split 17 first, 17 second. I don't know the breakdown per year. It'll be interesting to see how many they end up holding on to or, but it's almost like NBA draft picks are full on monopoly money, man. Like I, I yeah. can't even tell you how you track that. I could just imagine the whiteboard in the Thunder War Room 
like for the future and what that thing looks like. <laughs> yeah. It's like Charlie day and it's always sunny, you know, yeah. trying to figure out uh, the mail system. I mean, you know, ultimately you pass go, you get two more, you know, two more draft picks. It feels like, right. and I, I you'd think that they probably would ship those out. Right. You know, throw, I'm like, sure a lot of assets for, yeah, like, the number two or the number future, three future assets. Yeah. The ability to move up maybe in a, in a draft where they really want to. Um, yeah. so I, I think they will tank a little bit or just kind of regress you know, they're playing well ahead of their pace. Uh, I think their over-under total was like 21 for the season. They're sitting at like 19 wins right now, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, but I think they'll get back into that, you know, that lottery mix for the year, hopefully get a good pick this year. And then I think you could see them packaging some of that up for future picks. Yeah, you know, I'm sure at the end of the day, they'll probably pull a Knicks and trade all 34 <laughs> of those picks for uh, an Andre Bargnani or some right. other former former right. number one uh, and really just sink. And then future picks from there as well, really just sink right. the, the franchise for a decade. But we'll see, I suppose. That's Time will tell, right? So let's move over a little bit into the UFC. I don't know if you have any quick takes. I, I saw this, you know, haven't dug a ton. But an interesting, uh, fun kind of rematch coming up on Saturday. Will you be tuning in? Tuning in for sure. Betting yeah. it probably, but it'll probably be the beers betting at the yeah. end of the day. Uh, I am by no means a UFC expert. Of course, we can scale lines. We can look at previous opponents. These guys have also fought before. Um, but, you know, shout out to Vayner Sports. I think we have to be back in Stipe on this That's right. I can't go against the, the crew, right? Yeah, for sure. I think the fight that I'm most excited about is actually going to be Sugar Sean O'Malley coming back into uh, the octagon. You know, last fight, I believe it was his first loss. He'd been kind of a knockout king. He's got some of the fastest hands I've ever seen. Uh, breaks his foot on a kick, I think it was, and then, you know, got submitted pretty quickly right. after there. So a bit of an asterisk, but nonetheless, that was a fight he shouldn't have won, even if it is a fluke. He's still running his mouth. He's saying, like, bet against me. I'm an underdog. Like, kind of fuck you. I'll be there. Uh, but if he loses again, all of a sudden, uh, you know, he's not the <laughs> – I don't think he's as electric as maybe we thought he was. But So I, I'm really hoping he pops off and then, you know, really, really gets back up to the top. But I think it's the welterweight division uh, because, man, that guy has been electric. Yeah, so I think you're going to see a couple good ones on this card. The the Stipe Nagano battle rematch part two that we referenced. Uh, they fought back in January of 18, and uh, Stipe did win by unanimous decision. So you could look at that to just point, scale the lines a little bit, look at some of that information, uh, see what's changed with these fighters since. But uh, but should be a good little uh, Saturday night event. Yeah, for sure, especially after a full day of college basketball, 240, right. 515, what, 730, right. then like nine. So uh, highly recommend two monitors and probably three. I don't know if the women are playing on Saturday, but if the women are playing, I will for sure have the, the third monitor ready and willing. Which is maybe where we need to transition. Now, I filled out a women's bracket and then did not pay close enough attention to the games, unfortunately. You, my friend, went the other way. So why don't you tell everyone a little bit about your uh, your deep dive into our you know, us officially becoming a NCAAB women's podcast. Yeah. You know, all sports matter at the end of the day, you know, if there's sports plus data, you know, we're trying to turn out profits yep. here. So, uh, you know, I was looking for a way to find college basketball all day yesterday and the day before. And how did we do that? We moved right over into the women's bracket. And, you know, I think, one, I follow women's closely enough, you know, certainly not as right. much as I, I follow the men's, but, you know, I think there's something that, you know, really, really, scaling i say about common opponents you know you've got uconn you've got baylor you've got stanford and then what maybe louisville maybe nc state maybe texas a&m but from there there's a huge drop off the top 10 to top 25 is, is a rotating circus of teams yeah. that are that are decent. and it's been like that for a few years so you're talking 100%. like these are powerhouse programs right obviously a few of them that he rattled off you guys have probably heard before but a couple others have snuck into that but you see it 
every single year. South Carolina would probably be another one up at the top. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and you know what's interesting? I think without these teams, is most teams either have a dominant big man, a big woman, or a center, or <laughs> Uh, have a very strong perimeter guard game, somebody who could shoot 50% from three. Not many teams have both, but your Stanford's, your Yukons do. Baylor doesn't really. They're a number one seed. They've got a great inside game. South Carolina, the same thing. They've got two very, very strong interior players. And yeah, they can get hot from three, but nonetheless, you know, looking at that, you can look at how, you know, an o- like Oklahoma State's a perfect example of this. The Cowgirls ended up losing by, I think, 11, covered at 16. But I looked at how they played Baylor. They played Baylor twice. They lost by 19 by both. I think Stanford's a better team than Baylor. Stanford is, is very, very complete. They've got Cameron Brink on the inside. She's six foot four. Great interior game. Her last game, she had, it was 12 points, nine rebounds, and five blocks. And she can hit three. So this is a team that I, again, think that's better than Baylor. So we look at Baylor, two losses, both by 19. Now they're playing a better team and are only plus 16. So for me, from there, you think, oh, well, 16 is a huge line. I actually thought that was a very strong line for the Cowgirls. And obviously, we came out of a cover there so i think just kind of knowing how these teams match up size is definitely huge uh and you know you look at a team like iowa state last night ended up losing in overtime we had them plus four they were winning the the entire game yeah but we knew they could shoot from three and it wasn't a fluke and and, you know the uh, texas a&m very much on the interior obviously nixon went off for 35 she had a career game but you know it was a three points versus interior nobody can stop those shooters so um you know one of those things is just finding the matchups i think it's a purer matchup analysis than you get in the men's game um and you know if you have that knowledge of the squads can be can be quite transparent so my bracket somewhere i think it's doing pretty well i think i'm in like the 90th percentile i did have oregon state over south carolina which really crushed me um but other than that i think my i'm sitting pretty well so if i can get a georgia tech win over south carolina uh then i will be i'll be i'll be trending pretty well i think you're like what fifth and i think i'm eighth um but we're it was definitely pretty chalky the first couple rounds yeah, and that's what I feel. I mean, most of those those top seeds are still intact, right? Which is what you you've come to expect in in that world lately. Yeah, for sure. And even the line reads, man, have been pretty pure, right? We've had two examples in the last two days where uh, Iowa was the lower seed uh, and they were favored. They won by forty, and right. then we had Oregon as the sixth seed playing. I think number two Georgia, maybe two or three, probably three Georgia, uh, and they were minus three. They end up winning by seven. So both times the lower seed's been favored. They have had. Uh, you know, a, a sweat free and a sweaty cover, but nonetheless, uh, pretty pure. So, um, you know, the same the same principles apply when we're betting men's into the women's. Um, and thankfully, you know, we came off a five and a sweep yesterday. Our bookie wasn't my bookie for sure was not expecting uh, that an onslaught that to be an onslaught <laughs> of how I you know I take money from him this week with the women's game. But uh, so far, so good. W- women's Wednesday. That's what I'm going to refer back to it. That that onslaught oh, yeah. that you put on. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's do a little recap before we get into some some. I know we got some picks and some analysis. We're gonna do a little rapid fire to probably cover all uh, sixteen games that are going down. All right, well, yeah. Um, so let's start with the, the tourney itself, right? So we mentioned before the formatting Friday through Monday. We had rounds one through two. I think what was crazy, and I, I you know doing a little bit of digging to see how it was performing, um, you know, against years past. The first three days, underdogs went 28 and 15. Uh, so we talked about that ahead of time, right? Expecting, right. you know, some of those. Obviously, that's against the spread. Um, but the favorites did bounce back and go 7-1 and one on Monday. So it tightened up a little bit, but still, you know, underdogs did win out for the first couple of days. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think 
if anything, that I, I was more attributing it to like just the, kind of the funky season that the, yeah. the rankings were all off. You yeah. know, none of these teams had a large enough sample size. And, you know, the, again, 10 through 25 all season was teams popping in, popping out. Um, something that I did notice that's super interesting teams that are left, obviously 16 going into the sweet 16, I believe 14, either 13 or 14 of those are in the top 25 rankings from Ken Palm. So of any of the rankings that are true, that's pretty good right there. You know, yeah. over 80% are, are in the top 25. I think the top 22 technically. Um, so, you know, in terms of surviving, you know, the best teams seem to have survived outside of Oregon State and Oral Roberts, who I believe is 49th. And I want to say 138th overall. But it seems like the data has been pretty true in terms of those outright winners. But, um, you know, I don't know. Out, I underdogs or not. I'm not I think surprised. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I feel like Ken Palm too and those ratings and those those – analyses are getting a little bit more traction you hear it on the broadcasts even live you know they're referring to it a bit more than i think at least i've i've realized i'm doing it in the past i don't know if yeah, it's me paying sure. more attention to it or you know them paying more attention to it but i think it is getting yeah. some traction yeah yeah and it makes sense right i think as as you know announcers are trying to get more you know in tune with sports betting uh, they need to look at more advanced statistics and, and ken pomeroy obviously a legend of the space you know we subscribe to his data most of all of the analysis i use is based off of his data uh and i know he tweeted a couple of days ago that a lot of uh a lot of turn a lot of a lot of channels aren't shouting him out when using his right. stats so just wanted to give good old ken kp our guy not g powers the real ken pomeroy uh, a shout out uh because his data makes makes our profits possible yeah. So two other things about the first four days uh, of the tournament in the first two rounds. I think one interesting thing that jumped out was once you had Abilene Christian, a uh, 14 seed, secure their win against Texas, it was the third time since the tournaments expanded uh, to 64 teams, which I think happened in 85. So third time since 85 that seeds one through 15 had all been represented in the second round. So there was a victory for a one through a 15 seed, at least one. Obviously, you didn't get the 16-1 upset, which has only happened once a few years ago. Right. Shout out UMBC. But you did get for the third time in history, which is not frequent in, you know, since 85, uh, 1 through 15 all winning. So the 15 seed was obviously Oral Roberts that we mentioned before. Uh, 14 was Abilene Christian over Texas. Um, you had 113 with Ohio. Uh, I think only 112. It ended up being Oregon State. Uh, Syracuse uh, at 11 beat San Diego State. And then Loyola, Chicago, that's not really an upset as much, but we'll get into the, those guys. We'll get into the Ramblers a, a little bit later. But you had these, the, you know, and, and North Texas, another 13. So you had two 13s. Um, so fun games, you know, did, did you really, any of those you were watching closely while it was going down? Yeah, man. I mean, you know, Q's every year, right? Yeah. It's always like, oh, they don't deserve to get in. And then they rip an elite eight run or whatever it is. And, you know, honestly, <laughs> my dad went to Syracuse. So I've always been like a Q's fan, obviously Carmelo and the Knicks. But they are a team that I just cannot bet on. If I think a team's going to destroy that zone, they play one of the worst games of their lives and vice versa. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, Buddy Boheim with that. That, that terrible loss on the over I had two or three seasons ago. I'll never forget that. So right now I'm holding Syracuse. In I think he's the star of the podcast. I think he makes an appearance on every pod. Yeah, man. I mean, he, he haunts me, right? Like I need that guy to graduate ASAP and <laughs> go back to betting on, on Syracuse. But you know, that, that's selling like, you know, the ACC figures it out. Teams that have never played them before doesn't yeah. or don't. So uh, and always came out and said that he was talking about the fact that in conference play, they've struggled lately against some of those ACC teams and those repeat opponents. Because either over the years the coaches have seen it, or over you know within a season or within a couple of years in a small window, the players have seen it. He's like, yeah. we walk into the tournament and these guys can't figure it out, especially in short rest. Now, one thing to keep in mind between rounds one and two, and the Sweet Sixteen is you do get a couple of days off. So does that prep help enough? I don't know. Probably not. We'll see. 
Yeah, for sure. And that's a game that I, I don't plan on touching. You know, this Houston offense is pretty electric and, yeah. and defensively they're pretty electric as well. You know, the nightcap on Saturday and, you know, Houston here is their number 11 in defense and number seven in offense. Uh, and the only other teams that are even close to that, uh, you know, I say caliber of, of both of those is Gonzaga, Baylor and Michigan or not yeah. even Baylor. Excuse me. It was Illinois, but they got bounced Gonzaga and Michigan. Right. Um, so this Houston team, you know, I think perhaps a buy low. I, I'm not sure where the public is on this one, but uh, it looks like 50 50, but most of the money's on Syracuse. You know, I don't love it. I, I would lean Houston there. I mean, I like too many favorites this week, honestly, which is a bit of a concern, but I don't really like to look at those, you know, underdogs covering trends. Yeah. I would rather like just look at the game specifically and be like, oh, this team is misseeded or misgraded. And that's why we bet on the underdog, not because yeah. they're sweeping, you know? Right. Right. But to your point, you do have a, a decent money discrepancy there sitting at like plus 21% to the bet total. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Interesting. Uh, but Hey man, I'm excited. And I know we've got some picks here and then, you know, the, the, the listeners here, they like the picks, they like the winners, uh, you know, the pleasure in the business side, BMP. And I think we, we tap into the business side here. We opened with the pleasure today, uh, just kind of shooting the shit. So, uh, what are we working with? I know you're looking at I got a Sunday you? game. When's yours? Is your Saturday? Should we dive uh, there? First? I believe mine is Saturday. I'm looking at Loyola, Chicago. Yeah, so I told you I teased, I teased the Ramblers. Yes, you did. A great tease indeed. And, you know, this is two underrated squads, right, at least in terms of the rankings. Uh, Oregon State versus Loyola kicking us off at 240 uh, on on Saturday. And, you know, I think this is a – How many points does Sister Jean factor into things? Uh, yeah, I mean, she's at least a three-point advantage, there right? You, you know, her direct connection to the Lord, I think, is is something that you can't really handicap on any given day. Did you, you know, hear her pregame speech? Or I guess it was a pregame prayer. Did you get a chance to read that or hear I that? I did it. Was it electric? It, it, I'll, I'll, I'll try to pull it up maybe while you're talking and do it at the end because it was not a prayer. It was a scouting report is, is what it was. And I was I don't know who's feeding her statistics, if she's doing it herself. Maybe she's subscribed to Ken, to Ken Palm. You know, I, we're going to get to the bottom of it. Yeah, for sure. And in her bracket, she had Loyola beating Illinois and then losing to West Virginia, I believe, in the lead eight. So uh, <laughs> she believes in her squad, at least until then, and as do I, baby. Uh, but what, what are, are the numbers like? What are the yeah. numbers say? Exactly. Let's get into the data, right? 48% of bets, 52% of money, you know, whatever. I do love a slight fade of, of the of the public there, but uh, I'm not, I'm not, you know, putting too much, too much uh, weight in there. But right, these are two underdog squads, but Quite frankly, these are not two underdog squads that are the same. Look at Ken Palm ratings here. Loyola, ninth overall. Oregon State, 49th overall. Big discrepancy there. Defensively, we've got number one versus number 41. Offensively, number 35 versus uh, – uh, oh, sorry, excuse me. Offensively is 35 versus 41. Defensively is number one versus number 68. So uh, that those are some big discrepancies. And, of course, the narrative is, well, look at what Oregon State – has done against very good opponents. And I'll get there in just a second. But first, let me tell you why uh, I love I love Loyola here. There's a lot of things that are pointing to Loyola that I think are, are really going to be beneficial. In terms of effective field goal percentage, Oregon State is 216th in the league. You look at some of these box scores, they haven't been shooting all that well. They're, the opponents have been just shooting worse. Uh, but Loyola defensively here, number 45th in the country in terms of limiting opponent field goal percentage. 
Kind of turnover percentage. We've got Oregon State at 109th, very pedestrian, right around D1 average. Uh, Loyola is 45th in terms of uh, generating turnovers, uh, which obviously leads to extra possessions in terms That's of offensive rebounds. That's what it felt like rebounds. watching the Illinois game. Like they 100%. were just, especially in the first half. I mean, they were forcing their way into. Mm-hmm. There was no rhythm for from the Zero. best one of the best teams in, in college hoops. You know. Yeah, and, and honestly, that was it was really inspiring. You know, I think yeah. they played some some great basketball there. So they're going to get extra possessions. Um, you know, with this turnover possession and then we talk about limiting extra possessions in terms of offensive rebound uh percentage loyal is number two in limiting uh, opponent offensive rebounds so they're not only going to get extra possessions but they're going to limit putbacks which i love uh in terms of again just hammering this defense here free throw attempts to field goal attempts ratio Loyola is number six in the country so they're not giving away free points too often um and and that is all is, is good and gravy but at the end of the day what i love most here is that what Loyola does well, Oregon State struggles with, and what Oregon State does well, Loyola excels at. So we look at these offense here from Loyola. They're fine at shooting threes. They're number 68th in the country in terms of field goal percentage there. Uh, and and Ohio, Oregon State's pretty good at defending them, number 35th in the country. And you look at the recent wins, the teams that they've played have shot atrociously from beyond the arc. So credit where credit's due, Oregon's doing, doing well there. But more importantly, uh, Loyola here is 79th in terms of the country in terms of percentage of points that come from two. So while they're above average at shooting threes, they don't shoot that many threes. So that Oregon State three-point defensive number isn't something I'm putting too much weight in. Well, Loyola, on the other hand, offensively, number fourth in the country, number four in the country uh, in two-point field goal percentage uh, at 57.7. Obviously, that's very, very uh, impressive. And Oregon State here defending the two is allowing uh, at number 238th in terms of two-point percentage from opponents. So when Loyola does well, getting inside, scoring points, Oregon State does a very poor job of, and it's a bit of a wash from the three-point spot. So that's what I love about Loyola. Of course, let's address these concerns, right? Oregon State, hottest team in the country. Pac-12 tournament, they beat UCL, number 22 team, uh, by four in overtime. They beat Oregon, number 17, by nine. They beat Colorado, number 10, by two. They beat Tennessee, but number 27, by four. They beat Oklahoma State, number 34, by 10. But looking at those box scores and even where they ranked, all of these teams lacked something. You know, we've got, again, Loyola, who's great at offense and great at defense in terms of Ken Palm statistics. UCLA here, number 63 defensively. That's a pretty big delta compared to Loyola's, what, number one or number two, I think it is. I forget what we said there. Uh, and, of course, UCLA shot 25% from three in that game. While relying too much on the three, they got exposed. Oregon, number 52 defensively, again, way worse than Loyola, and they shot 24% from three that game. Once again, something Loyola doesn't depend on. Colorado, pretty good in both. They're the one thing that statistically, um, you know, are are competing with Loyola, but they shot 60% from the free throw line that game. So again, like another outlier that, that, you know, I'm not going to bank on happening again. We look at this Tennessee offense, number 86 in the league. They shot 19% from three. So, again, just more abysmalness. Uh, and then Oklahoma State here, 69th offensively. They shot 27% field goal percentage and 68% of the line. So, sure, you can give some credit to, to the Oregon State defense who's playing great. But with Loyola not having to get, get threes to win games and all of these big wins essentially becoming from limiting the three-pointers, I love Loyola here. Uh, I'm locking them in at minus six and a half. And I just think all of the, again, all of the things that Loyola excels at Oregon state does not. And all of the things that Oregon state excels at Loyola is also very good at. Yeah. Krotwig's fun to watch. Um, I think he's going to be trouble for them down low. If he was trouble for Illinois, 
and and a team that's got uh, Coburn and a couple other bigs. Like it's going to be interesting to see what he does to this Oregon State team. And I watched the Oklahoma State game. I think it was the nightcap on Saturday, uh, or sorry, Sunday maybe of the slate. Um, yes, the late so. game on Sunday. Yeah. So from the eye test alone, I mean, yes, Oregon State got the W. Yes, at times it appeared they smacked them. The way they stayed on their heels that second half, I'm I was shocked that Oklahoma state didn't come all the way back. They just dug themselves too deep of a hole, but you know, they were within two within four, a couple times. And then Oregon state was able to stretch it back out. But there was times where it really just came down to okay state missing buckets, you know, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately. So I think it, you know, that eye test there concerns me. And I think it, it might just be a little bit uh, time times running out for this, this squad. hundred percent, hundred percent. So let's kick it over to Sunday, man. I know you yeah. love, I believe Florida state. Yeah. Yeah. Tough. Tough one here because uh, Michigan is still rolling. Uh, obviously, one of the pregame, you know, pre-tournament favorites, um, probably behind Illinois, uh, the Zags, and and maybe even Baylor um, by some. They were still a number one seed, and they've still survived, right? But they did lose a key piece, uh, their senior forward, Isaiah Livers, in the Big Ten tourney. Mm-hmm. They ended up then going on to lose that Big Ten uh, final uh, to Ohio State. Tough matchup. Good squad. Michigan's bounced back well, right? But Livers does average 13.1 points per game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I think he's going to be a huge component in this game and, and the way it's going to play out. So you get the four seed against the one seed, right? FSU four, Michigan one, as we mentioned before. Funny enough, it's the only Sweet 16 matchup and looking at the bracket that went chalk. So these were the teams that were supposed to win and get there. However, they did. They get through. Uh, FSU comes in ranked 13th overall um, via Ken Palm, Michigan sitting at third. So they were a powerhouse, right? They were one of the best teams all year. But I think you have seen a, a shift and they haven't really had to play anyone since livers went down and, and, and get challenged. So there's some of that that I'm hanging my head on and why you can't always look at these stats from a standalone perspective because this team is different now. Um, this is one of the better defenses that they've played. Um, they... You know, and looking at it, right, similar comps, Michigan has played well against Rutgers, Purdue, Wisconsin, and Illinois. Those teams were all ranked similarly defensively to uh, the, the way Florida State is now. But none of those teams are ranked the same as Florida State from an offensive perspective, right? right. So I think you're going to get a good combination of here of, of Florida State being able to slow them down um, enough defensively. And that output that they're going to lose from livers really not translating over to keep up with the Florida state offense. Um, So, you know, I think when you're looking at some of the betting trends that are also out there, you know, again, not to hang your hat on these and and we'll jump back into the stats to wrap it up. uh, 36% of the bets are driving 80% of the money. So, you know, another good ratio there to see where the Florida state money is coming in on the money line side, which you would expect Mm -hmm. on a short dog, you have a money line sitting at about plus 120. You have 50% of those bets driving 65% of the money. Um, but in looking again at the eye test and what we saw with uh, Michigan in their first two rounds, you know, they got through, uh, you know, their 16 matchup, which they should have. And then they went on and they pulled away from LSU. But that game with LSU was a lot closer than it seemed. And then that final score seemed. Uh, they really pulled away a little bit in the second half. LSU struggled uh, shooting the ball. And LSU, and you know, Michigan got the win 86 78. But I think when you look at the livers factor, this is going to be the first matchup probably since that Ohio state big 10 final uh, that they're really going to feel not having him on the court. Um, So overall, I like Florida state here Uh, probably will sprinkle on the money line. 
and look for Florida State to continue a hot trend that they have had uh, against the spread since last year against ranked opponents, which obviously Michigan falls into. Since last year, so in two full seasons, they're 8-0 against the spread and 7-1 and straight up. Uh, a little stat we got dropped on us by ESPN Stats and Info. Um, that includes 3-0, and both straight up and against the spread this year. So look for Florida State to continue that. I selfishly have them in my bracket uh, winning this game and going on. So, you know, tying those two worlds together and we're going to get it done. Yeah, and something I really like about Florida State here, one, the line is super small, right? Yeah. You know, I think that, that's a good indicator of, of what Vegas thinks is going to happen here. But even looking past that, um, you know, Florida State, what has plagued them in some of these close games has been the turnovers. Their turnover percentage is number 254 uh, in, in the league, which is obviously not good, right. especially with a team of this caliber. But thankfully, Michigan defense turnover percentage is number 337th in the league. So uh, when we're looking at things that Florida State doesn't do well, thankfully, the Michigan defense is I mean, this is like the biggest, the, the biggest red on, on the spreadsheet I'm looking at here. Michigan defense ninth ranked, but their turnover percentage, number 337, their steal percentage also 337. So uh, that I think is, is super important. And yeah. I think at the end of the day, it's going to come down to who can shoot threes better. You know, you look at percentage, uh, three point percentage, two, per, two point percentage, you've got uh, Florida State here, number 16 in the country at 38.2. And you've got uh, Michigan on three pointers at number 11, number 38.5%. Uh, and both of these defenses don't defend the three very well. I've got 112 right. versus 105. Both of them do defend the two very well, number three versus number 10. Uh, so I think it's going to be super, super interesting. Who can get hotter from three? Who can limit those turnovers? Uh, but I don't mind Florida State at all. And, and I, I really agree with you on the eye test. Michigan, I just feel like you know, they're putting up 85 points and they're limiting opponents, but at no point am I like, oh, this team is dominating this game. And, and maybe that's hats off to them. They make it look, you know, gritty and they grind through and they still win by a lot. And, you know, maybe that's what I'm missing. But I, I think I agree with you on Florida State here. Yeah, and you look at they they obviously did put up 86 points against an LSU, right? But you're talking you know, significantly different defensive metrics from sure, an LSU sure. standpoint. You know, I think overall adjusted defensive efficiency, they're sitting at like 125, you know, compared yeah, to Florida State's, you know, 14, I think. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I think it does come down to getting those stops against the three, uh, limiting some of those turnovers, probably a little bit more ball control. I don't think I think, you know, if you're Florida State and if you're Leonard Hamilton, you want to keep this game in the 70s. Right. You know, maybe mm -hmm. low to mid 70s. Um, that probably runs in your favor versus the, the run and gun pace. Michigan getting buckets, Michigan getting into the mid 80s. So um, I haven't looked at the total, which might be an interesting thing to dig into, too. But uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, great stuff there. I'm ready for it. Cool. Rapid fire. What do we think? Rapid Baylor fire. minus seven and a half real quick. Yeah. I mean, I definitely lean that way. Neither of us had a chance to dig too much. I think the uh, Villanova is probably, you know, no disrespect to Jay Wright and the defending champs from a few years ago, but uh, they're another team dealing with injuries and dealing with some turmoil. And they had a bit of a cakewalk, right? Because they got North Texas, I think the mean green in the second round uh, due to upsets and the sexy 12, five upset pick Winthrop didn't really pan out. So you got Villanova walking into maybe a bus on Baylor, right? Yeah, for sure. And they, they're a good team, right? You know, yeah. they're obviously missing, uh, missing Connor uh, Gillespie, uh, but this offense is ranked six overall. I think you have to downgrade that of course, but something that really stuck out to me 
Uh, Baylor number six in terms of offensive rebound percentage. So they get a lot of extra, 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 uh, extra chances. Uh, number one in the league in terms of three point percentage where Villanova on defense is 237th in defending the three. Uh, they're number 45 in terms of offensive or two point percentage. Uh, Villanova is number 204 in terms of limiting, uh, limiting the, the percentage there. So um, I think this is going to be too much offense from Baylor. Ultimately, I think they're going to pull away. And, um, you know, I, I don't know, obviously going to go a little bit deeper before making an official play, but a uh, gun to my head, I am for sure taking Baylor in this game. I think the Villanova run ends. Yeah. It's probably one of the better defenses they face during the year. Uh, I would imagine. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's do rapid fire here. And then we'll wrap right. this up. Ready loyal versus Oregon. We're going straight up or against the spread? Against the spread, six and a half. I am taking your pick, and I'm rolling with the Ramblers. Excellent, as am I, of course. Next up, Baylor, 515 versus Villanova, minus seven and a half. We're still going chalk. Let's go Baylor. Bam, Baylor as well. Uh, Oral Roberts versus Arkansas. Arkansas minus 11 and a half. Give me the points, baby. Okay, I think I'm going to take Arkansas there as well. I think this team is underrated. I think they play fast, and they're going to pull away in the second half. A uh, great staff from Chelsea on uh, on, on Twitter. Uh, Oregon State, or sorry, uh, Arkansas is plus six in the first half, or minus six in the first half. They haven't covered minus six in the first half. I think more than once in their last eight games could be something to look at. Moving right along, Syracuse at nine fifty five plus six versus Houston. Oh, I hate to do it, but I think Houston. I'm taking Houston as well. I think offensive and defensively too good. I think Buddy cools off a little bit, but man, am I wrong about Syracuse almost every time. So tread lightly there. Moving on to Sunday, 2.10 PM, a nice afternoon matinee. The sun is shining. We're watching some PGA and we're switching over to college basketball. Creighton versus Gonzaga. Creighton plus 13. What do we think? I think you have to hope that Creighton and the shooters finally show up. Plus 13 and a half. Gonzaga finally gets a sweat. Yeah, I'm taking Creighton there as well at plus 13. Uh, I think this is an underrated team. I think people watch them yep. get slaughtered by Georgetown, and that's it. But this team can play on both sides of the ball. Florida State yeah, little... versus Michigan. Already talked about both aligned plus two FSU. and a half. UCLA versus Alabama at 715. Uh, Alabama right now is minus six and a half. I still lean Alabama. I think one thing, and you might have tweeted about it too, or we talked about it. You look at that Maryland box score in that Alabama game. Very deceiving. Uh, to the score it shows you really what this team can do how efficient they are uh even in a close statistical matchup you know they still one-handedly they dominate the game i think bama is a better team than us ucla yeah for sure that number three ranked defense in terms of adjusted efficiency i love that i'll take bama six and a half there as well and wrapping up 945 pac 12 after dark after hours not safe for work they put them right where they belong yeah exactly I don't know, man. I would have told you before watching USC in action in the suites in the uh, you know in the round of thirty-two that I would have taken Oregon. But those Mobley brothers are fun to watch, man. Uh, I think yeah, I still lean Oregon overall, but like USC is is a is a good is a real good squad too. Yeah, and you, I saw UFC. They're ranked fifth in terms of defensive efficiency. Yeah. Uh, obviously, get all Kevin Palm statistics here, which was very, very surprising. They also have an, uh, about the same on offense, ten versus fifteen. Uh, I'm riding USC here as well. Um, I think it's I think it's going to be a great game. You know, it is interesting because I think Oregon stats are uh, a little not representative because they got a couple guys back late in the season, and they've been yeah. on a tear there. So that's a game that. I will most likely be staying yeah. away and from. Keep but in hey. mind, keep in mind for those of you going to it. USC did beat up on them uh, in, in a pretty good spot in in February, and I think it was during that stretch when they had some guys back. So it could be a little bit of a revenge factor too. For those Absolutely. All right, that's a wrap, baby. Thank you guys as always for listening. I'm Jeff Sheesby, aka the Old Man Who Bets, alongside my main man, the Odds Fellow, Ant Latino. Best of luck this weekend. Let's bring home some profits.
That's a wrap, guys. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Once again, I'm Jeff Sheesby, a.k.a. The Old Man Who Bets. You can find me on Twitter alongside my main man, Ant Latino, The Odds Fellow. Next week, we'll be back with another very exciting episode previewing MLB, talking through more college hoops, both men and women, and maybe we'll even get into some NBA. Cheers. This is 1.37 p.m. Own your future. Start this minute. 1.37 p.m. is a Gallery Media Group original production.